archive of our own, fan fiction for Miss Scarlet in the Duke, entitled A Third Option, The Journey by Callie Q. Notes at the beginning. This piece was written for the How Hot Is Your Scott audio challenge under the choice of The Journey for the Scarlet Tears podcast. I read the book How to Be a Victorian and was surprised to read how medicines in the Victorian era were filled with poisons like opioids. Even tonics for children had dangerous addictive drugs. In addition to the malnutrition and poor sanitation, it's a wonder anyone survived. This got me thinking of how to have a murder on the journey. If you have not read Meat Pies and Moltollers, please note that this story is a continuation. If you have not read it, just know that Eliza and William are starting to get back to where they were at the very start of season two with some light hand-holding. William has decided he will be supportive of Eliza's career in order to win her heart. Chapter 1. Duty to Crown and Country William Wellington knocked on the door of Superintendent Monroe's office. Monroe opened the door and gestured for William to enter. You wanted to see me, sir? William asked, noting the other man seated in the room. Have a seat, Inspector. Care for a drink? He asked as he walked over to his decanter. Not waiting for an answer, Monroe began to pour. William shifted in his seat. Thank you, sir. Inspector Wellington, let me introduce Agent Robert Burton, Monroe said as Agent Burton rose to shake William's hand. Agent Burton was a tall man, a few years older than William, with sandy blonde hair with sideburns and a complexion that indicated he had been in a sunny climate. Pleased to meet you, William said. Inspector Burton nodded. Agent Burton has a few questions for you, Inspector, Monroe stated. Agent Burton remained standing. I'll come directly to the point. Her Majesty and our Prime Minister have requested a few undercover Secret Service agents to travel to Egypt, where our military is stationed at the Suez Canal. There may be some treasonous activity that could jeopardize the security of our empire. The person in question, well, I can get to that later. Sources tell us that a woman may have better luck in determining his activities. A woman, sir? William's stomach filled with dread. He did not like where this conversation was going. Monroe spoke. Yes, a woman. Agent Burton and Her Majesty's Intelligence Agency have word that Miss Eliza Scarlet is a very effective detective. I know that you are close friends, which is why I've asked you here. Before we bring this to her attention, we want to know more about her abilities from you. William's mind raced. His fight-flight reflex kicked in. He did not want Eliza to go to Egypt or partake in anything dangerous. However, he also knew she would never forgive him for trying to stop her. Uh, well, sir, she has solved or helped to solve several cases here, as well as in her own agency, Private Detective Patrick Nash, 
has brought her on board as his co-partner in his agency because he has seen firsthand that having a woman detective can be very helpful in uncovering many situations. First, no one suspects a woman to be a threat. Secondly, many witnesses are more comfortable speaking to a female than to a policeman. She is the only woman I know of who could potentially handle this type of work. William felt he had nobly answered the question, but added, would it be dangerous? What kind of work are we discussing? Monroe set down his glass and gestured to Agent Burton, who began, she would need an escort. What is your relationship with Miss Scarlet, romantic or otherwise? William told them of his history with Eliza, leaving out anything romantic. He had a feeling they would like a more familial role. He stressed that Henry Scarlet had tasked him with looking after her. After a couple of minutes of explaining, Agent Burton cleared his throat. I think I've made my mind up, Inspector Wellington. If we could convince Miss Scarlet to embark on this mission, would you be willing to do your duty to crown and country and accompany her as her brother? We will offer you both training and you will be compensated for your time handsomely, Burton explained. Bring Miss Scarlet here in the morning and we will debrief her. William was glad he was sitting down. As a man used to his routines, he marveled at what the next few weeks would bring. Yes, sir. I am willing to do my duty to Her Majesty and our country. I will speak to Miss Scarlet at once, if I may. Monroe nodded his consent, and William was dismissed. He took a few steps down the hall and paused. He took a deep breath and even said a little prayer for the unknown that was about to occur. Eliza had held the reins of Nash and Sons for a couple of months now and was just beginning to earn the respect of a few of her men. Used to the patriarchy of an all-male business, she expected her supervisory role to be met with reluctance. The men understood that Nash had lured Eliza to their agency with a generous offer because of the market they could establish by having a female detective. But many wondered if Nash had other motives. Their attitude toward her was typical of Victorian men, but a few appreciated her talent and slowly began to understand that despite her delicate beauty and femininity, she worked harder than most of them and was twice as successful at solving cases. Nash had warned his men that if any chose to ignore Eliza's requests or cases that she assigned them, he would show them the door. Only one man did. Eliza found she enjoyed filtering out many cases to the men in the office so she could accept the type of cases she preferred. Her instincts told her which jobs would be a good match for her. She even considered taking Saturday afternoons off, which was William's day off, just in case he wanted to spend time with her, not that she was waiting around. A familiar knock on her door alerted her to William's presence. 
She greeted him with a warm smile, and her eyes took in his handsome appearance. The complicated dance the two of them have been waltzing for the past year had taken another turn recently. With another dinner together and some light hand-holding, Eliza was understandably weary and kept her guard up for valid reasons, while the only man who ever filled her romantic fantasies was her handsome Scott. She knew she would only marry someone if he was supportive of her career, which seemed a wild dream to her or any woman of the Victorian age. William had hurt her deeply two times. Once, after he put a stop to their budding romance, shortly after they solved the murder of her father, and again and more painfully, when he courted her childhood nemesis, which thankfully ended recently. Eliza's answer to the pain she felt was to throw herself into her work while maintaining a cautious friendship with William. Her ambition had landed her in her current prestigious position. How's your day going? William asked as he removed his bowler hat and sat down across from her. Good. I just closed a case this morning and I'm catching up on paperwork, Eliza explained with pride. How are you? Good, he said cautiously. Can I have a few minutes of your time uninterrupted? Eliza's curiosity was piqued. Of course. I brought you a little something, William stated with a wink as he handed his paper-wrapped meat pasty for her to eat. Really, William, you're going to spoil me with these, Eliza said with a smile. I know you sometimes forget to eat, William said before he delved into the news he came to share. William explained the entire conversation he had with Monroe and Agent Burton. Although Eliza was a little irked that Agent Burton felt he had to go through William first, she was pleased that William did not dissuade the opportunity. I have a lot of cases here, she said almost to herself. I suppose Nash will let me resume my position once the project is over, but... But William wanted to hear her thoughts. You're saying that Monroe would let you take leave to accept this role? That this case is for the cause of our national security? That is what Agent Burton said. I'm sure we'll get more information in the morning, William paused, and unexpectedly reached for Eliza's hand and held it a moment. You don't have to do this, you know. Eliza's stomach somersaulted with emotion, both from his touch and from the opportunity. I know, she breathed. Neither do you. The next morning, Eliza donned her blue dress, a sort of uniform as a detective, made herself eat something to please Ivy, and walked to Scotland Yard. Desk Sergeant Alfred greeted her and told her to make her way to Superintendent Monroe's office. She entered the room and was greeted by Monroe, who introduced her to Agent Burton. Agent Burton's eyes rolled up and down Eliza. My pleasure, he said as he took her hand for a formal greeting. It's nice to finally meet you, Miss Scarlet. Oh, you'll do nicely. William had walked in, just in time to see Agent Burton's lips linger over Eliza's gloved hand. 
His fight-flight instinct raised its head once again when he noticed how Agent Burton looked at her like she was a delicious dessert. Eliza sensed his manner and began. I'm interested in the case and I can't wait to hear all about it, she said as she took her seat next to William. Agent Burton remained standing and began to explain. First, everything you hear is to remain confidential. The only thing you may tell your friends and colleagues is that you will be working undercover for Her Majesty and the British government abroad. You will be compensated for your time. Your travel, food, lodging, and clothing will be provided for you. You will first undergo a week of training, which is not very long, but we need to start right away. Inspector Wellington will be your chaperone. He can be an older brother on business who brought his sister to see the pyramids of Egypt on a photography tour. He walked over to the desk and pulled out a photograph. This is Ned Arnold. He is a wealthy British merchant who works among the Khedivate of Egypt, their government. As you know, we Brits control Egypt now as a protectorate. They have their own government, so to speak. We had to step in because their economy was imploding and we had to protect the Suez Canal. We have some evidence that one of our own agents has supplied Arnold with sensitive information in exchange for money. We have dealt with our agent, but have not been able to deal with Arnold as of yet. Our concern is what Arnold will do with the information he gleaned. This traitor might sell the information or use it to gain access to trade. We don't want any of our enemies privy to our secrets, especially the Russians or the Germans. Your mission is to get into Arnold's circle of friends and lead him to our men. And then your men will silence him? Eliza asked, substituting the word silence for kill. Yes, silence him, Burton confirmed. I take it that your men have not been able to get close to him? Eliza inquired. Right, he has bodyguards. We've tried to bribe his guards with offers of money and, he paused, with tempting offers, but we have not yet been successful. He has an affinity for young women of good class, British women with titles, especially blondes. We are hoping William cut him off. You want to use Miss Scarlet as bait to lure him to your men? Battling with his emotions, he calmed himself and asked, How much danger will she be in? Agent Burton shifted uncomfortably. She may lure him to our men, or she may do the deed herself. Eliza's breath caught. She was being asked to be an assassin. William's anger was tangible. His frown and his eyes told Agent Burton what he thought of the case. Miss Scarlet, you would be doing a great service to Her Majesty and the security of our country. We have used women as spies before, and they have proven effective. Burton tried to convince her. For once in her life, Eliza Scarlet was speechless. 
William clenched his fists and glared at Agent Burton. Superintendent Monroe looked sympathetically at Eliza for a moment and walked over to his window to look outside. Burton continued, We start training tomorrow. We will expedite your paperwork for the mission. Eliza remained quiet. She wasn't afraid of the travel and the challenge of infiltrating this rough group. Even in her line of work, she never considered that she would have to take someone's life. However, she knew that was something every policeman had to face in their career. William had shot a few men in pursuit of justice. Was this mission worthy? Would it protect the safety of her country? Tell me what to do, Eliza stated. William stood up agitated. Eliza, don't you want time to think this over? William, if it were you, what would you say? William started to speak, but stopped. He knew he would do his duty. Now he had to figure out how to keep her safe. Miss Scarlet and the Duke Fan Fiction A Third Option, The Journey by Kelly Q. Chapter 2, The Journey Begins The next week was a blur for Eliza and William. Both had to tie up loose ends at work while also receiving training for Her Majesty's service agents. They worked on a convincing cover story and practiced conversation to avoid slipping up. Eliza would be Lady Eliza Evans, a wealthy daughter of a deceased Lord Evans who had properties near Manchester. Once Agent Burton realized it would not be credible that William could be Eliza's brother on account of his Scottish accent, he would instead be Eliza's cousin, William Evans, who inherited Lord Evans' estate as the only surviving male heir. Lord Evans, William, traveling with his steward, Robert Burton, Agent Burton, was on his way to India to check on his investments with a stop in Egypt. Lady Evans, Eliza, was keen to see the pyramids of Egypt and to take pictures. She had persuaded her cousin to bring her along. Burton was working on bringing along a woman who occasionally worked for the British Secret Service before retiring to act as Eliza's lady's maid. On the day before their departure, Eliza and William each received new clothing made from expensive materials. Too busy with their training and preparing for the trip, they had little time to dwell on the potential danger, although fear raised its head in their dreams. Eliza could not bear to burden Ivy with worry about her role as a spy, so she explained she would be working a case with William in Scotland. She packed a bag of her usual clothes that she would leave in her office so that Ivy would not see her new clothing and get suspicious. This small deception would be the first of many she would have to do in this role. Don't worry, I'll be back in plenty of time for your wedding preparations, Eliza hugged Ivy and kissed the top of her head. Goodness, child, I knew you were a clever girl, but I never dreamed you would be working with Scotland Yard so far from home. 
Ivy returned her embrace and handed Eliza a handkerchief filled with scones for the train ride. If she thinks Scotland is far, it would be a shock if she knew that I am going to see the Great Pyramids, Eliza thought. Agent Burton met Eliza and William at the train station, where they would board a train to Dover and catch a boat to Calais. From there, it was a train ride to Paris and then travel by a new luxury train called the Orient Express, all the way to Istanbul at a marvelous speed of only 80 hours. There, they would catch a steamship to Alexander and another to Cairo. In Paris, Miss Dumont would join them as Eliza's lady's maid. Additionally, two undercover agents will join them on the Orient Express as bodyguards and support for the team. The travel time gave them more opportunity to prepare. Eliza was excited about the adventure, while William struggled to rid himself of the frown on his face when he greeted Eliza and Burton. His fears were eating at his appetite and sleep. Yes, this new train is owned by a Belgian, Georges Nagelmackers, from a banking family. Quite an interesting character he is. The sleeping cars are modeled on the American Pullman cars. It should be quite comfortable. It'll take three days for our layover in Budapest, where we will be greeted by a dinner of authentic goulash and folk music, Burton delightfully explained. Goulash? William asked. Yes, we will get to taste foods you've likely never had before, some of it quite delicious. Although I would shy away from the hookah pipe unless you enjoy a good smoke, Burton advised. He continued to describe the encounters they will have before arriving in Cairo. We will have two agents on board in case we need backup. You are not to acknowledge them, but I will point them out so you know, he explained. The gush of joy that emanated from Eliza's face when Agent Burton described their travel arrangements caused him to admire her wholesome beauty. Based on her questions and from his notes, Burton knew her to also be very intelligent and brave. William noticed when Burton's gaze lingered a bit too long on Eliza. Although Eliza never flirted with him, William wanted to signal to Burton that Eliza and his relationship was more than just professional. So he often sat closer than necessary to Eliza and frequently placed his hand on the small of her back when they were walking. Once they boarded the ferry to Calais, William noticed that Burton had fallen asleep in his deck chair. He motioned to Eliza that they should take a stroll along the deck. To his delight, she took his arm. Looking at the stars, Eliza breathed in and said, William, I never dreamed I would be on such an adventure. I'm glad you were with me. Isn't it a beautiful evening? Isn't it just? He replied, mirroring her beaming smile. Taking advantage of a moment alone, he continued, Eliza, I know our relationship is complicated. I... Complicated is a good word, William. We are the best of friends, are we not? That we are, he confirmed. We are colleagues and we work well together as a team. That we do. 
And although you enjoy working with me, you prefer the company of other women in your private life? She said as a statement, not a question. In the past, perhaps. In the past? What about now? Eliza asked. William took her hand and looked at her with the dark eyes of desire he had shown her a few times before. There is no other woman I wish to spend time with, Eliza. I'm sorry for the times I have failed you. I'm sorry, I wish... He stopped, pulling at his courage. What do you wish for, William? Eliza prodded. It is my wish that... He paused. That... It is my wish that the love that I have for you will overcome any obstacles that come before us. He exhaled at his relief of sharing the words he had carried with him for over a decade. Eliza was speechless for the second time in a week. Keeping her eyes on him, she reached up and tentatively touched his shoulder. The obstacles are many, are they not? Electricity circuited through his body at her touch. And highly unusual. You are a rare woman who I cannot get enough of. William placed his hand on her waist. They drew closer, but stopped and stepped apart when they heard footsteps of another passenger nearing them. Well, Eliza smiled teasingly. As my cousin and benefactor, we mustn't blow our cover, Lord Evans. Eliza, we are miles away from our target, William began. Ah, there you are. I fell asleep, Burton interrupted. Looking at his pocket watch, he stated, We are close to the next leg of our journey. Beautiful evening, isn't it? Eliza smiled, looking at William. Yes, beautiful. The journey continued. They arrived late and tired at a hotel in Paris's 10th arrondissement near Gare de l'Est. William's room was across from Eliza's and next to Burton's. When Eliza arrived in her room to settle in for the night, she noticed that the porter had placed the wrong trunk in her room. Eliza had William's trunk, and she hoped he had hers. Just as Eliza was heading into the hall to knock on William's door to tell him, he exited his room with her trunk in tow. They enjoyed a laugh, and she opened her door for William to enter. Despite the impropriety, Eliza shut the door. I imagine you were just as surprised as me to see my clothes instead of yours, William chuckled. I hope you didn't get a look at my undergarments, William, Eliza teased and blushed. William thought, well, hopefully someday I will. Although he kept that thought silent, the mischievous look on his face told Eliza he was up to no good. They stood smiling at each other each with similar thoughts of the scandal their current situation could cause at home. Eliza's blush caused William to state, um, I should get my trunk and leave. Yes, that is what a gentleman would do, she stated. She bravely continued, but I've often called you a rogue, haven't I? Eliza teased and blushed again. William slowly walked toward her. Do you remember in the jewelry shop 
when I said you were the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen? Shyly, Eliza nodded. You also said that we were meant to be together. Do you mean that, William? With all of my heart, dearest, loveliest Eliza. He spoke with conviction and continued approaching her. Eliza walked toward him and closed the distance between them. Facing him, she gently rested her hands on his shoulders, lifted her heels to reach his face, and lightly touched her lips to his. That was all William needed for encouragement. He pulled her close and deepened the kiss with a passion that had lived inside him for years, one that took Eliza's breath away and caused every nerve in her body to come alive with the same love and desire she felt for him. Hot with passion and love, Eliza answered his kisses with hers, pulling close. Since the invention of the kiss, there have been five kisses that were rated the most passionate, the most pure. This one left them all behind. Before they let themselves get too carried away, William broke the kiss and whispered into her ears, My God, how I have longed to do that forever, Eliza. You have made me so very happy. Eliza, feeling completely flustered, happy, and weak in her knees, was surprised to feel a tear sneak down her cheek. William took his finger to wipe the tear and placed it in his mouth to taste it. Laughing, Eliza breathlessly said, William, I am also so very happy. I nearly gave up hope that one day I would ever be in your arms. I didn't give up hope, Eliza. I'm an eternal optimist, remember? He hugged her. We will work it out. We are meant to be together. I will support your decisions as long as you always remain in my life, Eliza. Eliza laughed again and lifted her fingers to play with his hair. He gently kissed her, and despite his desire, he knew he needed to leave her hotel room. I uh, will get my trunk and uh, see you in the morning then, he asked. Eliza reluctantly stepped back. We will remain professional, except when an opportunity arises, will we? She asked. As you wish, William winked and exited the room, carrying his trunk effortlessly. Notes for Chapter 2 The Orient Express did not begin until 1883. As far as I could find, Miss Scarlet and the Duke is set in 1882 so there is at least one inaccuracy in this story. You may have noticed I could not resist the temptation to quote two of my favorite stories, Pride and Prejudice and Princess Bride. I hope you get a chuckle out of the illusion. A third option, The Journey, by Callie Q. Chapter 3, The Orient Express. During breakfast, Burton noticed a difference between Inspector Wellington's and Miss Scarlet's demeanor with one another. He caught the two of them blushing and trying to avoid eye contact. Astute about what may be happening, he stated, I trust that once we board the train to Istanbul, you both will remain in character. You never know who might be on board. Both embarrassed, 
that their little secret was obvious. They sat up a little straighter and replied, of course, yes. Both knew they could conceal this new romantic state of their relationship since they had been practicing concealing their emotions for years. An hour later, their carriage brought them to the Gare de l'Est and they boarded the Orient Express for Istanbul. The Orient Express was a new luxury train that had recently celebrated its inaugural voyage. William and Eliza marveled at the sleek black train, gold stripe painted horizontally across its middle with dark wood paneling and burgundy carpet running down the halls. At the station, they met Agent Sidonet Dumont, who would be posing as Eliza's lady's maid. After a brief introduction, the four of them observed the bustle of activity unfolding before their eyes. Fresh produce, meats, and crates of wine entered the far end of the train, and different languages filled the atmosphere. Passengers and their servants began to arrive like royalty. Fur coats, elaborate hats, immaculate white shirts with black ties, and even two little Pekingese canine companions adorned the international cast of wealthy passengers for the world's premier passenger train. As detectives, the groups made their mental notes of who would be traveling with them and wondered what their stories were. Burton had already told them to trust no one. They would not speak of their mission and would remain in character for the duration of the trip. He had a list of the 27 passengers and their country of origin. Secret Service staff would also be on board as security and added intelligence. A conductor took their tickets and gestured, Mademoiselles Evans and Dumont will take car number five. Straight this way, Monsieur Evans and Burton you will be across from them in car six. Follow the ladies. A porter settled their trunks into their cars. Eliza and Miss Dumont entered their sleeping car. Eliza knew that Sydney Dumont's upbringing brought her to four continents, living in different cities, because her father was a former government ambassador from Belgium, which allowed her to learn different languages. She spent her school years in boarding school in France and entered Her Majesty's Secret Intelligence Agency in her 30s, working on and off for over two decades. She had never married. Eliza wanted to know everything about her, but knew she must stay in character and behave as a lady would to her maid. Eventually, Eliza planned to enjoy hearing more about her life when privacy allowed. Lady Evans, would you like me to unpack your things? Sidonay asked. Yes, thank you, Eliza said. It's my job. You don't have to thank me, Sidonay stated quietly with a knowing look that reminded Eliza that she must remember her station in this undercover role. Eliza nodded 
and examined her sleeping compartment. She noticed a sliding door and found a water closet. Eliza could not resist testing the water from the dainty sink. Even Sidonay was impressed. On the other wall, there was another sliding door to the compartment next to her, which she could unlock on her side, but her neighbors would have to unlock their door inside their compartment for her to enter. Eliza could hear talking in the next compartment. It sounded like voices of two women. She heard one say to the other, Yes, Mr. Willoughby's cabin is just across from us. Isn't this nice? Sidonay smirked kindly at Eliza and softly said, Ever the detective, aren't you? It's good to be aware of what is around us. But since we can hear them, remember they can hear us. Eliza nodded and said quietly, I wonder if William's compartment is as nice. I've never seen such a train. She opened the door to the hallway and saw a man from the compartment across from her take a few steps into the hall to knock on the door of her neighbor. He tipped his hat and Eliza nodded her acknowledgement. She stepped back into her compartment but did not completely close the door so she could eavesdrop some more. She could overhear their conversation. Sidonay did likewise. Darling, I hope you will be comfortable, the man said. Oh, yes, it's a marvel. Shall I meet you in the dining car in an hour? A woman asked. Eliza and Sidonay shared a mischievous smile. I wish William and Burton were next door so we could hear what they are saying, Eliza said. Sometimes it's better to not know what men say in private unless it is for a case of course, Sidonay whispered, smiling. Let's get a look at theirs, Eliza said, feeling like a schoolgirl as she stepped back into the hall and saw the man, who must be Mr. Willoughby, traveling down the corridor. William, who was housed with Burton in the compartment adjoining this man, popped out of his sleeping car and mouthed the words, wow, to her. Yes, Lord Evans, these accommodations will do nicely, Eliza stated. Will you accompany me to the dining car? William asked Eliza, and down the hall they went. Passing the other sleeping compartments and through the doors to the dining car, Eliza and William's eyes took in the look of a dining room that resembled a fine hotel. The tables were dressed in white linen, fine china and silver. Each had a vase with pink or red roses. Chandeliers would light the room once the light from the ample windows set for the day. During William's dismal upbringing, he never imagined he would one day dine in a room as fine as this. He chuckled to himself that his life had been filled with pleasant surprises, including the way Eliza heightened his senses and encouraged him to be a better man. He placed his worries about her safety beneath the large cabinet in his mind named Eliza for the time being to enjoy the present. Later that evening, after a four-course meal that satisfied 
Everyone's palate. Gentlemen converged to one end of the dining car near the open windows to enjoy cigars and brandy, while the ladies migrated to another area for port and chocolates. William and Burton joined a solicitor named Willoughby from Birmingham and a businessman by the name of Delano from America. After general introductions and comments on the luxurious accommodations, they discussed the state of business in their respective areas and moved on to a variety of topics. Burton was pleased with the credibility William was maintaining. Are you married, gentlemen? With all my travels, I barely feel that I am, the American joked. William and Burton answered in the negative, while Mr. Willoughby explained, My wife is on the far side of the room with some other ladies. He pointed in their direction, while the men glanced over. William noticed Eliza was playing cards with Mrs. Willoughby. Marriage has its challenges, doesn't it, Mr. Delano? My wife has a delicate disposition. Some days, she barely gets out of bed, Mr. Willoughby added. That must be very concerning, I'm sorry to hear it, William stated. Yes, I thought the long trip would provide her with a nice change of scenery, Mr. Willoughby stated. His gaze returned to where his wife sat. There's her maid. He pointed out a woman across the room. She wore glasses and had a mousy appearance. The dotty girl likely forgot to check that the chef can accommodate my wife's dietary requirements. The doctor has her on a special diet to get her strength back, Willoughby complained. Why don't you hire a new maid, Burton suggested. My wife wouldn't hear of it. That's one fault of hers. She's too loyal, he said as he poured another brandy and added, well, gentlemen, if you are interested in a game of whist, I can get my deck from the room, Willoughby asked as he rose to exit the dining car. Meanwhile, Eliza had just finished a game of hearts with Mrs. Willoughby and two other ladies. That's my husband over there, Mrs. Willoughby pointed across the room. Yes, I see. He's with my cousin and his steward, Eliza said. Oh, here's my maid. Yes, Suzette, Mrs. Willoughby said. The young woman, hesitatingly, came over to speak to Mrs. Willoughby. While they were conversing, an elderly lady, who was also playing with them, excused herself to retire early to bed. Oh, ten o'clock. I will see you ladies another time. It's time for me to retire for the evening. Eliza stated, I hope the two of you don't mind, but I would like to retrieve my book from the room. There's a nice reading area over there. And I see there are two other ladies at the next table who require a pair to join them. Eliza exited the dining car and traveled down the aisle toward her sleeping compartment. As she walked, the train hit a bump and she nearly stumbled. She steadied herself and continued along her path. Unlocking the door to her compartment, Eliza noticed Mr. Willoughby exit his wife and maid's car. He greeted her with a nod and he rubbed his fingers against his pant legs. Eliza watched him retreat down the hall toward the dining car. Later, in the reading nook area of the dining car, fairly close to William and his party, Eliza found herself surreptitiously studying the passengers instead of reading her book. 
hearkening back to the game she had played with her father when she was a girl. She wondered what their lives were like and created backstories for them in her mind. She predicted there would be many new people to encounter in this mission and marveled at how her life had changed over the past year. Then her mind replayed her steamy kiss with William the night before. She noticed Mr. Willoughby playing a game of whist with William, Burton, and a portly American man. Close enough to hear them, she heard the American comment, What's the matter, Willoughby? Is your jaw bothering you? Are you trying to send your partner a code? You keep rubbing it. Certainly not, Willoughby said indignantly while flexing his right arm. I guess I'm just a little stiff from all the travel. Eliza noticed he must not be a very good player based on the reaction of the others and how his attention seemed directed across the room where his wife was playing a card game with three other ladies. Bored with her book and tired from the travel, she rose to return to her sleeping compartment. When she arrived at her room, Eliza found Sidonie getting into the upper berth, leaving Eliza to take the bottom. Her observations of Mr. Willoughby bothered her, so instead of going right to sleep, her logical mind set out to determine its cause. This, along with her thoughts on their mission so far, kept her from falling asleep for a while. She noticed the sound of conversation from the next door, so Eliza pressed her ear against the wall to eavesdrop. She could just hear the voice of Mrs. Willoughby and her maid talking. Your sleeping medicine and handkerchief are next to your bed, ma'am. Will you need anything else? Eliza heard the lady's maid ask her mistress. No, you may go back to sleep, Suzette. Eliza knew that many people take a sleeping tonic to sleep. Because of her father's teachings, she was aware that much of it was made of laudanum, which was a tincture of opium granules that includes morphine and codeine. It's often prepared by dissolving the powder in alcohol. Eliza knew how much can put someone to sleep as well as how much could cause death. It was morning and both Sidonie and Eliza had finished dressing and Sidonie was fixing Eliza's hair. The sound of a scream pierced the air and incoherent noise traveled through the thin walls from their neighbor's compartment. Eliza hurried to the hall with Sidonie right behind her. Mrs. Willoughby's maid yelled out, C'est madame, elle ne se réveille pas. Venir vite. Sidonie translated for Eliza. Her mistress is not waking up. Eliza rushed into their compartment and felt the pulse of Mrs. Willoughby and did not find one. Just then, Mr. Willoughby arrived. Eliza lowered Mrs. Willoughby's arm and solemnly looked at the men. I'm afraid to tell you that she has passed. Mr. Willoughby leaned into his wife's body and held her. Wake up, Esther, wake up. Oh no, my wife, my beautiful wife. Eliza reached toward the distraught maid and gently held her hand. Tell us what you know. Madame went to bed last night and she was fine. And this morning I woke up and dressed and went to wake Madame, but she... <sighs> the maid began to cry. Noticing the small glass next to the bed, Eliza asked, Did Madame Willoughby take anything before falling asleep last night? 
Oui, she takes a sleeping tonic. Madame has trouble sleeping without it, the maid explained between sobs. Can we please see this medicine? Eliza asked. Reaching into a suitcase, the maid retrieved a bottle of Dr. Fuchs' soothing syrup. I give her one teaspoon mixed with some sugar water. Mr. Willoughby started. How much did you give her last night? The same as always, monsieur. When did you give it to her? Eliza asked. She probably took it just before settling into her sleeping berth, the maid suggested. When did you prepare the tonic? Eliza asked while reading the label of the bottle. I prepared it while Madame and Monsieur were dining, the maid answered. And did you remain in the sleeping car the rest of the evening? No. After I prepared the tonic, I remembered to return to the dining car to make sure Madame's breakfast would include her favorite tea. Then what did you do? Eliza asked. And Madame in the dining car playing a game of hearts. I spoke with Madame, who told me I could retire for the evening, and then I came back to the sleeping car. About what time was that? She thought for a minute. I was in the dining car speaking to the Maitre d'Hôtel just about 10 o'clock. I remember that Madame was not much longer before she came here for bed. Mr. Willoughby asked, are you sure you didn't accidentally give her too much? Sometimes you forget things, don't you, Suzette? The maid Suzette nearly collapsed in distress just as William and Burton entered the compartment. What's going on in here? William asked. Mr. Willoughby, sitting at the end of the sleeping berth with his deceased wife's body, had his head in his hand. Eliza was fanning the maid Suzette who is sitting in a chair with her hand over her forehead. More passengers and staff began to crowd the hall. The conductor took charge. Here, here, everyone please return to your compartments or go enjoy the dining car. Go on, nothing for you here. After the conductor was informed of the situation, he asked Mr. Willoughby to please come with him to explain to the engineer that they would need to stop in Pozzani to inform the authorities Mr. Willoughby and the conductor left. Let me get you some water to drink, miss, Eliza said to the maid. As she rose to get the water, Eliza stealthily unlocked the sliding door that led to her compartment. Let's get you away from here. Here, Eliza said as she helped the maid out of her seat. Let me get you to the dining car where you can sit for a while. Shortly, Eliza returned to her own compartment where she found Sidonay, William, and Burton quietly discussing the situation. There's something not right here, Eliza stated. Yes, there's a dead woman in the compartment next to us, Sidonay said slightly sarcastically. Eliza turned on the faucet in the WC to drown out her voice. She explained that she saw Mr. Willoughby exit his wife and maid's car just after 10 o'clock last night, which gave him an opportunity to add something more to the sleeping tonic. Then she added, Mr. Willoughby sure seemed quick to blame the maid. William began, Eliza, I know I once despairingly told you that chaos follows you wherever you go, but I'm beginning to wonder. Eliza cut him off. William, that is not a kind thing to say. You say it like it's my fault. 
I'm sorry, he interjected, but just because a woman has died does not mean she was murdered. You heard her maid say she takes a sleeping tonic. Maybe over time, the medicine builds up to a toxic level. I heard Mr. Willoughby speak of his wife's delicate health. Burton took charge and whispered, listen, I know you both are detectives, but we should not be trying to get involved in this. Our mission is too important. Remember your roles. I suggest we all head over to the dining car. If there's any news, we'll hear it there first. Of course, Eliza said. Let me just use the WC and I'll be right with you. Burton and Sidonay exited, but William remained and stated, I'll be right with you. Let me get my suit coat from thy room first. As soon as they all left, Eliza gathered her tool bag. She unlocked the sliding door that adjoined Mrs. Willoughby's now unlocked compartment and entered it. She began to look around, searching in their luggage. Darkness enveloped the compartment as the train traveled through a tunnel and Eliza was temporarily blinded. When the train exited the tunnel, the sunlight from the window caused her to notice something on the floor near the table where the sleeping tonic had sat. Pulling out her magnifying glass, she detected a few grains of a white crystalline substance. Carefully, Eliza reached into her pocket to remove a letter she had written to Ivy out of its envelope, and she picked up a letter opener to scrape the granules into the envelope. She then closed the door and started toward Mr. Willoughby's compartment. She looked down the hallways to make sure no one was around and made quick work of picking his lock. Just then, she felt a shadow over her. What do you think you were doing? A familiar Scott voice whispered in her ear. I knew you couldn't resist getting involved. Eliza rolled her eyes. William, please just let me take a look. If I can rule out nothing suspicious, then I promise to let this go. With a heavy sigh, William stated, I'll unlock the sliding door inside my room. It leads to his room and I will meet you there, but we must hurry. Eliza opened the sliding door to allow William to enter from his compartment. Then the two got to work. Searching Willoughby's belongings, Eliza came upon a pair of trousers discarded on the floor of his closet. I'd wager these are the pants he wore yesterday, she whispered to William. She carefully folded the pants. William said nothing and continued to search Mr. Willoughby's belongings. Putting his hands in the pocket of one of his suit coats, he found a letter. Glancing at the letter, he scanned it until he got to the last line. When all of this is over, I will meet you in Vienna and we can begin our lives together at last. All my love, Franny. William pocketed the letter and indicated to Eliza she should follow him into his compartment, locking both doors. William, I found something on the floor of Mrs. Willoughby's room. She reached into her pocket. In this envelope are a few granules of a white, odorless substance. We could have Burton's men get this to a laboratory to test, but I bet it's strychnine, Eliza suggested. Why do you think that? asked William. 
That evening, I pretended to read my book while sitting in the dining car, but I was actually observing Mr. Willoughby playing cards. I felt something was off. Our mission has my senses heightened, and I observed Mr. Willoughby's face grimace a few times. I also observed him flexing and stretching his arms playing cards with you. He continued to rub at his jaw. Now these are all signs of mild strychnine poisoning. I saw him rub his hands on his pants when he exited his wife's compartment. If he poisoned his wife, we can have the pants tested for any substances. What if he wanted to get rid of his wife? He had the opportunity to place poison into her sleeping tonic. The maid Suzette already had the tincture ready. No one would think it odd for him to enter his wife's compartment. Now, if we could just establish a motive, Eliza's mind raced. I found something too. William took out the letter from his pocket. Read this, he said as he handed Eliza the letter. After reading, Eliza looked at him and said, he had the opportunity and he had the motive. Let me talk to Burton. Maybe the other agents can take the items to the authorities at the next stop and we can keep our cover, William suggested. Despite Burton's fear that Eliza and William's investigation of the death of Mrs. Willoughby could interfere with their mission, he found Eliza's explanations to be quite convincing. Privately, William told Burton, in nearly every situation, Eliza's intuition has proven correct in the cases she and I have worked on. Can we get your agents to take the evidence to the proper authorities? Eliza will be better able to focus on the mission if she knows justice is being served. Trust me, once Eliza gets an idea into her mind, it's pointless to talk her out of it. She's that tenacious, eh? Burton asked. William laughed. You don't know the half of it. In the end, the agents were able to pass along the evidence to some men in Posini. Eliza's instincts proved correct. Mr. Willoughby was arrested. Burton's opinion of Eliza was elevated. He was glad she and William were on this mission. He knew they needed Eliza's skill as well as luck on their side. A Third Option, The Journey by Kelly Q. Chapter 4, Cairo. The Orient Express arrived at Georgie, Romania a few days later. During the journey, William and Eliza feasted on food and sights they never dreamed of. They ferried across to Budapest, where they all enjoyed the goulash and the music Burton had promised. Next was a train ride to Varna, a port city along the Black Sea, and then south to Constantinople. In Constantinople, they were given a day to sightsee and relax before the last leg of their journey. The four of them toured the famous Hagia Sophia. Eliza took William's arm as they gawked at the sights. Burton and Sidonay walked past them at some distance. Outside the magnificent mosque, they strolled along the grounds, past the fountains. William, did you know this city was the largest and most important in the world in about 600 AD? 
I feel as if I should pinch myself. I cannot believe we are here. Eliza beamed with pleasure. I as well. I never dreamed I would leave Scotland as a boy. And now look at me, walking along the great fortified city of Constantinople with you, William stated, looking at the lovely blush that began to appear on Eliza's cheeks. Well, Lord Evans, we've come a long way. Eliza stopped to make sure they had some level of privacy to look directly into his eyes and gift him with one of her loving smiles. You just wait until we get home and I can express myself more freely, William smoldered. Oh, and what do I have to look forward to, teased Eliza. You shall be kissed and often and by someone who knows how, William dared to say. Eliza gulped, but gathered her courage. Oh, and who might that be? Oh, Eliza, how you love to tease me, William smiled. You know you like it. Eliza gave it right back. The magnet of attraction that had tugged them for years seemed to vibrate with electric energy and their eyes locked. Burton made a slight coughing sound right behind them. Both were surprised and resumed their stroll. Yes, I do like it, William finally answered, now facing forward. He considered how much he wished this mission were over with them safe in London so he could give those kisses he promised. Eliza continued walking in a daze. She was both thrilled and a bit shocked at the way William's eyes conveyed his thoughts. His words were just catching up with her. What had she missed before when she used to avert her eyes out of fear of the intensity she sometimes glimpsed and even felt herself? Part of her worried about where this romantic road would take them. What would William expect from her? Were there only two options? Marriage to William and losing her career? Or a career and losing William? She knew what it felt like to nearly lose William to Arabella, but she couldn't imagine not being a detective. However, with much looming soon, she knew she should put these thoughts away for now and focus on their upcoming mission. The next day, they boarded a ship to Alexandria. During the sail, the four of them reviewed the different scenarios for their plan. Eliza would need to attract Mr. Arnold, and she had two options. She could either lure him to the other agents or give him a deadly poison they prepared for her in several small vials. Both options were risky due to Arnold's security. When they finally arrived in Cairo by another train, they were awed by the sights of ancient ruins and Islamic citadels. Men whose heads were wrapped in turbans, preyed on rugs, or sold their wares. Light-colored ankle-length robes adorned both men and women, while some wore Western clothing. Music sometimes filled the air with sistrums and goblet drums. Both Arabic and English greeted their ears. On the way to their hotel, they witnessed a procession of camels carrying a bridal party to a wedding. The Hotel des Anglais, the English hotel, recently renamed the Shepherd's Hotel, stood tall, flanked by date palms. Its interior was a blend of British, 
as well as Moorish designs. Walking past its bar, William noted the crowds to Burton. Yes, the long wait for a drink is well known at this hotel. We might do better at another location for a drink, but we may find who we are looking for here. Anyone who is British is most likely to be found here, Burton explained. They separated into pairs to find their rooms, which were across the hall from each other. With your innocent beauty and my expertise, I know our mission will be successful, Sidonay explained to Eliza as they unpacked their trunks into the wardrobe in their room. I am grateful for your company and advice, Eliza stated. Meanwhile, in the men's hotel room, William and Burton discussed their plan for finding Mr. Arnold. Knowing that William and Eliza were not merely just colleagues, Burton sought to reassure William. We will have ample men who will trail us and keep Eliza from harm. We will meet with one of them tonight to gather the latest intelligence. You and I will go to the meeting and then later brief the women, Burton explained. William clenched his teeth and gathered his courage for what the next few days would bring. An hour later, the four met in the lobby to enter the dining room. Eliza looked up at the high ceiling and Moorish design and noticed William doing the same. The maitre d' greeted them and led them to one of the few empty tables. Malik copper lanterns lit the room and the gentle sound of cascading water flowed from the fountains. Burton and Sidonay assisted William and Eliza with their menu choices before the waiter arrived to take their order. Later that evening, satisfied with their meal, Burton suggested that the ladies had the rest of the evening to themselves because he and William had a meeting to go to. A Third Option, The Journey by Kelly Q. Chapter 5, Their Target. It took a couple of days for them to find themselves in the same room as their target, Mr. Ned Arnold. Knowing they would most likely meet his acquaintance this evening, Sidonay spent time helping Eliza dress for her role. She had to look beautiful and classy. She needed to reveal just enough skin for Mr. Arnold to see all of her best physical features, but must also appear to be a lady of high status. Sidonay assisted Eliza into a floor-length burgundy taffeta dress with black ribbing and lace, complete with bustle. It was short-sleeved and exposed her chest just a little. The bodice showed off Eliza's slim waist. When Sidonay fixed Eliza's hair, she pinned one lock of her golden hair a little less strongly. There, Sidonay announced, with a little luck or a slight shake of the head, this little tendril of hair may fall a bit, making you even more irresistible. Men will want to tuck it in place behind your ear. I know from experience. Eliza smiled at that and felt for her little vial attached just inside the top portion of her corset. Then she clothed her fair arms with long white gloves. The four of them would attend a gathering of a British businessman who was well known in the area. 
Sidonay would be in attendance as well as Burton to keep an eye out for Eliza and William. There would be six other men in the room who were undercover British agents. They spent the evening meeting new people and were introduced as their cover story, Lord Burton and his cousin, Lady Burton. Eliza and William were both careful with the alcohol offered to them so that they would have their wits about them. Just when Eliza began to grow frustrated at not meeting her target, a man entered the room followed by a few others. Ned Arnold was a short man who stood tall with confidence. He had a classical education and enjoyed the finer things in life. Although middle-aged, he still had a full head of hair, yet his waistline had expanded from years of rich food. William wasted no time in gaining an introduction. A man William was conversing with introduced William to Mr. Arnold, while Burton stayed engaged in a conversation in a small group behind him. It did not take long for William to find himself listening to Mr. Arnold explain where the best cognac is produced. Arnold was interested in hearing about the Burton estate in Manchester and William, as Lord Evans, investments in India. Luckily, William had practiced such conversations with Burton many times along the journey and comfortably told his story without his telltale sniff that Eliza had pointed out gave him away as fibbing. Across the room, Eliza noticed William with the man who fit Arnold's description, so she made her way toward them. Ah, Mr. Arnold, allow me to introduce my cousin, Lady Evans, William said, gesturing to Eliza. Eliza lifted her hand to Mr. Arnold, whose eyes took in every bit of her, and he openly appreciated what he saw. How lovely you are, Lady Evans. Nice to meet your acquaintance, Eliza demurely stated. The nerves she felt gave her enough to provoke a lovely color on her face. Mr. Arnold is a successful businessman who has traveled all over the world. We were just discussing India. I'm sure you will find him as interesting as I do, William stated. Oh, tell me, Mr. Arnold, what is your business? Eliza asked, looking straight into his eyes. She spent the next 30 minutes listening to Arnold talk about himself. She pretended to be fascinated by his stories and even touched his wrist once while laughing. William stayed close, conversing with Burton's group. Inwardly, he smiled at how well Eliza played her role. He made eye contact with Burton, who seemed pleased. Eventually, Arnold asked Eliza if he could escort her to the refreshment area to get her a glass of sherry, all the while describing the best places to purchase the finest sherry. Her heightened detective senses noticed that he had men nearby who kept their eyes on him. Her instincts told her this would not be a good setting for committing the deed that needed to be done. She did not think she could drop anything from her vial into his drink without being seen and ruining the whole plan. William noticed when Eliza and Arnold walked away from his corner of the room. He looked at Burden, who nodded. This meant that William should rejoin Eliza. Ah, here you are. I'm sorry, Lady Evans. I got caught in conversation with some others. 
I trust Mr. Arnold has kept you entertained, Williams stated. Yes, he has, Eliza giggled, keeping in perfect character, pretending the sherry and Mr. Arnold's attention affected her. She let the loose lock of her hair drop. She noticed Arnold's eyes travel to the tendril. It seemed to do what Sidonie said it would do. Lord Evans, would you and your lovely cousin care to join me tomorrow for a look at the Abdeen Palace grounds? It is close to your hotel. I have business there tomorrow afternoon, but I could show you around the place in the late morning and perhaps we could get a look inside, Arnold offered. Turning to Eliza, he said, for a lady as lovely as you, you will fit in nicely there. It is exquisite. That would be lovely. Would that be all right with you, dear cousin? Eliza was thrilled she would get another chance to complete her mission. Later, in William and Burton's room, Eliza and Sidonie quietly discussed strategy. Burton and Sidonie had already trained Eliza how to use the deadly vial. They prepared for her if she could not lure Arnold away from his men to them. Burton's men gave them a layout of the palace inside and out. They had a plan A and a plan B. Little did they know Eliza had a third option planned. The sun greeted the day with quite a blaze that morning. This offered Eliza an idea. Sidonie offered Eliza encouraging words and helped her look her best with a lovely light pink lawn dress complete with parasol. William and Eliza took a short carriage ride to the palace where they met Arnold. Arnold enjoyed telling William and Eliza all he knew about the luxuries of the palace. They were permitted to see the interior of some of the rooms. Eventually, Eliza stated, I would love to see the gardens. Could we take a quick turn of the grounds? I am fascinated with the date palms. Looking at his pocket watch, Arnold considered her request. I suppose we could for a few moments it's a bit warm outside today, though. Oh, if I struggle with the heat, I know I have you two strong men to help me out and my parasol, Eliza said. As they walked outside admiring the grounds, Arnold seemed to struggle a bit with a trickle of sweat glistening along his brow. Eliza offered him her handkerchief. I always keep an extra, she said. Thank you, Arnold said, as he blotted his forehead with it, and then began to blot under his nose as well. Let us get to the shade of those lovely palm trees, Eliza suggested, and took his arm. She glanced towards William, who then walked on Arnold's other side. I'm feeling a little... Arnold did not finish his words. William took his other arm as the two of them whisked his limp but still upright body around the corner to a carriage waiting for them with Her Majesty's secret agents inside. With William's strong arms, they were able to get Arnold inside, and then Eliza and William quickly entered a separate carriage to get as far away as possible from any of Arnold's security men. The carriage took Eliza and William to a train station where they each waited for a message from Burton. William unfolded a newspaper to hide their faces. He held Eliza's hand and said, 
I know that was very hard for you to do, Eliza. You were very brave. I didn't kill him, William. He will wake up eventually, Eliza calmly stated. What? The handkerchief had the poison on it, didn't it? William asked softly. Yes, it had poison, but not the poison Burton gave me. Do you remember Joseph Sims? Yes, he paused to allow his mind to remember that Sims was poisoned twice by Eliza. What was on that handkerchief, Eliza? I kept some of Solomon's scorpion venom. Three drops might kill someone, but two just puts them to sleep for a while. You didn't think I would actually kill someone, did you, William? The message arrived for them at the station, telling them to board the next train for a quick trip to Giza, where they found Sidonie and Burton waiting for them. Well done, both of you, Burton stated as he shook their hands after they found them in a private compartment on the train. We will celebrate with some sightseeing in Giza. Miss Dumont had our trunks packed and sent there. It's time to get away from Cairo and enjoy the famous pyramids. William and Eliza sat next to each other facing Sidonie and Burton. I am so impressed, but how is it that Arnold did not die? What did you give him? Burton asked both Eliza and William. Ask her, William replied. Eliza allowed a slight smile to appear on her full lips. My dear housekeeper, Ivy, who is like a mother to me, observed that when faced with two choices I did not like, I often found a third option. All right, if that is all you want to say on the matter, Miss Scarlet, I will let the matter rest. We got what we wanted. What would you say to work with us full time, Miss Scarlet? It's rare to find such a talented woman with nerves of steel like yours. Inspector, should the need arise, we would love to have you on our team again. But Miss Scarlet, we have another case in mind already. I will explain later, Burton said. William's stomach dropped. The words of Arabella rang in his mind. Her ambition will outweigh everything, even her feelings for you. He knew this opportunity was something Eliza probably never dreamed of, and he knew she would accept the role. Although his heart was breaking, he attempted to keep his emotions in check. Eliza was quiet for the rest of the train ride. When they arrived in Giza, they marveled at the sights that came into view. Once the four of them changed into the traditional clothing of Egyptians for a special tour on camels, Eliza and William felt as if they were in another world. William looked stunning in his long robe. Eliza couldn't help noticing that a little bit of his muscular chest peeked through. William thought Eliza looked lovely in white. What do you think, Eliza? William asked, indicating his clothing. I think a Scotsman never looked more handsome, Eliza laughed. After they overcame their trepidations of mounting on top of their camels, the beasts used their long legs to traverse the sand along the great pyramids. Eliza and William swayed back and forth and held onto the reins as instructed. They were filled with wonder as a private guide 
explained about the building of the pyramids and how they once looked in ancient times. After the guide had finished his talk, he let William and Eliza continue to enjoy their rides on the camels ahead of him. William managed to bring his camel next to Eliza's and said, I'm so very proud of you, Eliza, but I will miss you terribly if you continue with the service, he said. What makes you think I would continue? This is not the life I wished for, William, she replied. And then she added, just above a whisper, however, I doubt I will get all that I want. Relieved she did not want the life of a spy, William asked, and what do you want? I want... Her camel stopped, as did William's. Eliza struggled to speak. Yes, Eliza? William got as close as he could. Whatever it is you want, I want you to have it. I just hope that I am in the future you envision. Tears welled in Eliza's eyes. I... Yes, William prodded. What do you want, William? Eliza asked. He hesitated. You, Eliza. I want you. Whatever way I can have you. Eliza smiled as she considered his declaration. William, for the women of my class, there are usually two options. The first and most traditional is marriage, where the wife takes care of the home and family. That becomes her career. Her husband is her master. The second is spinsterhood, where the woman is dependent on a male relative who is her master. Except for me. I have always been different. I thought I had found a third option. I knew I would never find a man who would tolerate a working wife. So I envisioned a type of marriage to my career where I could enjoy my independence. But lately, yes, Eliza, lately what? Have you realized that lately I have evolved? That I know how brilliant you are in your profession. Why can't we both have love and a career? We could create a new option. As she processed his words, Eliza began to believe she was the luckiest woman in the world. But just then, her camel decided to sit down. Oh, Eliza yelled as the camel sank. She tumbled into the sand. Are you okay? William asked, concerned. Unaware of the proper way to disembark from such a beast, William attempted to get off his camel to assist Eliza. In doing so, he also found himself face down in the sand. Ugh, William complained. The two of them found their way toward each other, brushing off the sand from themselves and each other through fits of laughter. Eliza's headscarf had fallen off and her beautifully coiffed hairstyle let loose a few tendrils of her golden hair. William gently caressed her cheek and slid his fingers to play with her locks, gently tucking the loose strands behind her ears while Eliza reached to touch William's face to brush off some more sand. Both spoke silently to one another. Just then, Burton and Sidonay came upon them. Sidonay smiled that her hair advice worked on William. Burton exclaimed, 
the two of you. They all burst into laughter. Eliza turned toward them, holding William's hand and said, Agent Burton, thank you for this amazing experience, but I think William and I are ready to return home. Thank you for listening to my story, The Third Option, The Journey, written and recorded by Callie Q for the Scarlet Tears podcast fan fiction challenge, How Hot Is Your Scott? It will be published on Archive of Our Own under the same title.